You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 142 called Five Tips for Maintaining high expectations in your classroom. In this episode, we'll share five tips that will get you thinking about high expectations and the best ways to keep them elevated in a sustainable way. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we're at our midway point, kind of, in our summer. Not really midway. Beginning yeah. of the midway. Yeah, we're getting there. Quarter of the one quarter. <laughs> there you go. There it is. So, uh, yeah, in this one, this episode, we have a lot going on here, but we're going to kind of just talk about it and have this be one of these discussions that we sit back, we really deep dive into a certain uh, aspect of education and then provide suggestions along the way but before we do that we're on summer break nothing nothing could be better than that right I'm just hanging out with my three kids you have uh, your kid just hanging out relaxing we started swimming lessons yeah I mean I'm doing uh, I get I don't know if this is a new thing but uh, swim teachers come to people's houses apparently so I'm doing my swimming lessons at your house as you know which is a which is a cool thing to do but uh, summer's the best for that exact reason and I know we always like to take the first few few weeks as a uh, you know a bit of a hiatus of technology so that is uh, certainly the approach that I have taken here although I gotta say man we need to start thinking about this uh, some of these upcoming trainings because as much as I hate to say it we we have to get back to planning some stuff out right yeah I mean I I actually love the trainings, the summer trainings, because usually it takes me two to three weeks of kind of detaching myself from electronics before I'm itching to get back at it. There's a lot that happens in education. There's a lot that during the summer I just want to try out, and we've kind of went over that on previous episodes, but here we are, and we know that we have some Canva training that we have to do and want to do with our secretaries and admin because... We've worked a lot with teachers this past year. Now we got to get into training some of our other staff, and there's no better time to do that in the, than in the summer when they don't have other teachers, uh, you know, asking them questions. There's no kids getting sick or spills in the hallway or discipline issues or anything like that. So. I'm very excited for this Canva training, just so we could show them some of the cool things that Canva does. Yeah, I mean, I, I should should have clarified, I like these summer trainings too. Um, it's gonna be a good one because, you know, I'll go a little bit deeper here. If any of you listening are tech coaches or maybe even just the, the teachers who are known as, uh, you know, tech capable teachers, you might have had this experience where People come to you to ask for help with things, but you can sort of tell they feel bad about it. They know how busy you are, they don't wanna bother you, but also they feel like they have no other choice than to come to you and say, uh, hey, can you design a poster for my classroom that says blank? Or hey, could you make a flyer for my, you know, whatever club, for my volleyball intramural club that says blank? And it's sort of this weird thing where I, I think people legit feel guilty 
because it's it's their project, it's their thing. They feel like they don't know how to make the flyer or the program or the whatever it is. So they're coming to you and and what we wanted to do is, you know, give people the opportunity to to learn about obviously it's Canva training. Um, because I think people don't know how easy it is to use and everyone looks at us like we're these experts of graphic design. We are certainly not. We just we just got into Canva and played around. So that was where this all came from was we wanted to kind of show people like, here it is everybody, here's all you have to do and let's walk through some samples together. We'll still help people out, but this might help uh, break some of that ground a bit. Yeah, I like to call myself an artistic slob that's using Canva that day. Because <laughs> I am, I am terrible at the arts, like uh, the fine things. But I will tell you, with Canva, I am passable, and that's what I tell them. You don't have to have a creative eye. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm very creative, I'm just not artistic. So if you can go in and find a template and get creative with that template, a lot of times it's just that, that starting point that you need. Staring at a blank screen, blank canvas, is very intimidating, but just getting in with a template and then changing it to make sense for your creativeness is really what we're trying to do there. So uh, very happy to start these Canva trainings. We also have first and second year teacher trainings. Those are also very fun because we get to meet people around the district. But with all these trainings, we get to kind of do it backwards. We get to show them first what Canva is capable of. And then we get to show them how to do it, or tell them how to do it, or display how to do it. And then we get to have them practice while we help them out finding the different functionalities and tools found within Canvas. So it's, it's, a, it's a great way to come full circle in reverse. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's kick into um, sort of what this episode's about, I think, which is high classroom expectations. And this is, you know, I can, I'll jump back a little bit and say that towards at the end of the school year, when everyone's kind of in that reflective mode, right, you're thinking about how things went and how you want things to go for next year. I was around a lot of conversations teachers were having about how to bring classroom expectations back to the way they were before COVID. And before, you know, before you get your, your feathers up, sort of wondering what that even means, I can provide a little more detail. Um, at least in our school, things like due dates and having assignments, you know, either not be accepted late or having students finish things in a in a punctual way or make up tests within a certain amount of time a lot of that stuff became very lax during the covid years and now that we you know we're past that and sort of trying to renormalize a lot of teachers feel like that we need to get back to having some of those expectations and regardless of how you feel about that or not you, you might you might like things to stay a little bit more relaxed and kids can take their time with stuff um, you may also feel like you want to bring some of those things back. I'm just saying I was around a lot of that talk. Uh, some of this also went into like grade inflation and how everyone's getting A's and kids who have a B feel like they're, they're not doing well in the class and how to, 
you know, how to adjust some of those things. So while all of these conversations are happening and I'm kind of listening in, uh, one night I happened across an Instagram post that sort of connected to all this and it, I'll give credit, this was from a, an account that I follow called at teacher goals, which is, it's a fun account on Instagram if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but this post had to do with it had to do with that exact thing, which is high expectations for your students, uh, what they are, and how to keep them, how to maintain them. So I'm, I'm gonna start off, because you know I saw this post, I'm just gonna tell you about it, and you can let me know what you think before we get into our tips. But um, you know they, they start off by saying, what sh high expectations should not be in your classroom, which I thought was interesting. They list three things. Number one, no mistakes. Uh, so they're saying it is it should not be a high expectation that kids do not make mistakes um, Number two no second chances. It should not be a high expectations that kids do not get a second chance in other words They should be allowed to have second chances and that is not lowering expectations And then the last one is moving fast. So a high, expe high expectation shouldn't be that everybody finishes unit two in a week or so forth uh, then they listed four things that high expectations should be, like doing challenging things, doing it until you get it right, working hard, and asking for help. And then I added a fifth one here that I think you would probably agree with, and that is um, must show growth. Because if I was thinking about high expectations, for me that's going to be a huge part of it, is that I don't really care so much where you're at, but I definitely want to see that you are further than where you were at the beginning and that's going to depend a lot on the type of course you teach how um, in-depth you can take that but that was the official list plus the one from us what's your what's your take on all this yeah i mean there's a lot to unpack here and we're going to do that throughout this episode but i just want to take a look at the should not be so things that should not happen in your classroom in order to exceed high classroom expectations. And, and the three were no mistakes, no second chances, and moving fast. I mean, this is really unfortunate thinking, but for me, the mistakes are really where the learning moments occur. Uh, I, I just feel like when students make mistakes and, and you find these mistakes or these misconceptions are there, it affords teachers the opportunity to really take a deep dive into that misconception, which will overall allow students to get a deeper understanding of the topic and make connections uh, that they weren't able to make when they had those misconceptions. So uh, I definitely understand that one. No second chances makes zero sense to me. <laughs> and I will tell you this, when our job is to get students ready for the real world, for jobs, and a lot of times when you're in business or marketing or whatever it may be, you go into a think tank and you give this rough draft presentation of what you're thinking and then people pick it apart. Well, that's your first chance. And then you go back, you fix things up and a week later you have like the second version of that and people give you critiques and, and suggestions and you go back and you fix it and it's like that until you nail down a product that is what you think is the best foot forward so no second chances 
I agree with that only if that means you get to come back for a third, a fourth, and a fifth. <laughs> yeah. So I really don't agree just like one and done. I mean, a lot of our formative assessments, you could count that as a first chance before you get to a summative assessment. You could count homework as a chance. Like, There's several chances for you to learn the material. But I know in our class, because it is a creative class, we give them the initial grade, and then if they want to hand it back in, they can hand it back in for some more points. And if they still want to hand it back in after that, go ahead. Until there's a cutoff, and that's because we have to have grades in for that quarter. But we do give our students ample opportunity to make improvements. And those improvements, in my opinion, is where the real growth happens. So, and moving fast, I'm not gonna lie, when I was a kid, if you weren't first, you were last. Everything was a race. And it took me a good solid 10 or 11 years in, in school to realize that that is also wrong. Do your best, do it at your own pace, get it done, turn it in. As long as you put your best foot forward and you you prepared yourself in a way, whatever grade that you earned, you should accept. I, I just feel like if you actually took the time to prepare, that's that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, that's I love everything you added in there, and I'll, I'll just jump back quickly to the no second chances thing. Like, that's a really common thing that uh, teachers will say, and I actually heard that exact thing in the, you know, some of the conversations I was listening in on, uh, you know, my colleagues sort of complaining about this uh, degradation of student expectations, supposed. Um, they were saying that a big part of that is all the second chances the kids get. And in, in life, you don't get second chances. And it's that's just totally not true. Like, if you think in life you don't get second chances, just really step back and think about stuff in your life. You totally get second chances. You get second chances all the time. I, I think it's probably harder to come up with things where you don't get a second chance than to come up with things where where you do. Like, I... Even if you want to say something that seems really, like, really locked in, like, I don't know, people always say, um, maybe paying your taxes, right? You don't have to pay your taxes on time. There might be a penalty, right? You might have to pay a little, some late fees. You can go 10 years and not pay your taxes, and they'll, you know, as long as you make a commitment to do it, they'll probably have an auditor sit down with you and work out a payment plan or even decrease what you have to pay so like even the things you would think of as like the toughest rules that we follow in society there's probably second chances involved and and when it comes to learning uh, you want to dial that stuff way back even more because it's you know we're not talking about taxes or breaking rules or you know uh, you know things that are very serious offenses we're talking about learning so I, the no second chances one is, is interesting. Now, all of those things, of course, we, you know, we have a lot of constraints like testing that might limit the moving fast or, you know, like you said, grades being due where at some point the second chances do have to stop just because school ends or the quarter ends or whatever. So, you know, we acknowledge all that. And maybe that's a good segue into what we wanted to do with this episode, which is give you some tips so we put together for each of the should be items uh, some of some of our thoughts 
on how to do it and then um, some you know, light connections to ed tech that might play a role here. So I'll start off and maybe I'll just introduce each one of these and then you can and pepper in your thoughts as we go. So, you know, the first thing that high expectations should be is doing challenging things. And the first thing I thought of when it comes to doing challenging things is elevating your assessment style. Um, right off the top, if you change that summative assessment at the end to being more challenging, and then let that trickle down with how you teach that subject or that content. I've seen that make a huge difference just in my own class. So as, a, as an example, you know, if you've ever asked a question like this, who was the fifth president of the United States and what was his major accomplishment? It's an okay question, not super challenging. Largely, it's just memorization based. If you swap that to James Monroe was the fifth president and is credited by many for the Missouri Compromise. Explain this compromise and give three examples of how it impacted the United States over the next 50 years. The student no longer has to remember the fifth president because who really cares? Is that the type of thing we want students to memorize and then forget two weeks later anyway? They don't even really have to know that a major accomplishment was the Missouri Compromise. More important is now they're engaged in the analysis and the critical thinking of what did the Missouri Compromise do? Why was that important? really thinking and explaining it. Yeah, so that's a great point on how we can, or a great example, I should say, of how we can really take our questioning to the next level. But when I think of doing challenging things, I think about the educational equilibrium. So remember, I was a science teacher, and we have punctuated equilibrium, which is basically that slow growth uh, will happen, um, or no growth, or the status quo will happen, but as events take place, large amounts of growth or change has to happen in, in order to get back to that flat equilibrium or back to status quo. All right, so for me, um, what that means in education, this uh, educational equilibrium is, so students are comfortable, their learning is very minimalized. Whether it's no learning is going on or it basically just means that they're not being challenged. So if you think of a graph, it's just a flat line, horizontal flat line. But then when we throw something new that they don't know at them, they have to very quickly dive deep into that content, which is going to cause this spike in the horizontal line, this vertical spike. And that just means that they're uncomfortable because they don't know the answer. So what they have to do is fight their way back to equilibrium. And that fight back to equilibrium is where growth happens. That's where the learning happens. So doing challenging things is a great thing because that's where we're going to see the most growth because that means that they have something to learn there. And I really think that this is very beneficial and should be included in your high expectations for your classroom. Because if you do not challenge your students, if you do not have a process in which you challenge your students, I feel like you're falling behind the eight ball there. And I think uh, that's just a good way of building rapport with your kids, helping them get back to that status quo, that fight back. And guess what? Maybe the first assignment that you do, it's not as challenging, but it is still challenging. And then the second one, we get a, even a little bit more challenging. And by the third one, they should know the process. So 
Maybe we throw them another curveball. Maybe there's an added expectation there. Maybe there's a piece of ed tech that you introduce there that makes them uncomfortable, and then they're going to fight their way back. But the thing is, is we always have to be there to help them that last little measure, and that's basically what our questioning, how our questioning skills come into play. And by questioning them, we're giving them lifelines. We're giving them that safety blanket. We're giving them... You know, if they're on a balance beam, we're giving them that long pole to, to use as a balance. You know, like those high wire types. Uh, so we have to be there as teachers to help them back after we challenge them to a certain point. Yeah, and there's all kinds of research out there about how important it is to make students uncomfortable, which, you know, could just be asking them to do challenging things. And I don't, I think every teacher who's ever tried to challenge their class is always surprised at how those students step up. Even if you thought they couldn't do it, they can probably do it as long as you provide the supports in there. You know, I don't want to get too far into this, but like challenging rubrics is something we've talked about a lot on this show. If you're putting a rubric together to help grade things, just make sure your kids can't use that as a as a checklist. Where if they do ABC, they get a hundred percent. You want to make sure that that hundred percent really is challenging to achieve. Um, so that you get quality stuff. For rubrics, make sure that your checklist is the C. Like, so if you have A, B, if you have your categories, one through five, for example, five being an A, three being a C, one being an F, or try again in my case. Right. Uh, the three is your checklist. Okay, that's, that's the status quo, that's mainline, that's, you know, Everything that they need in their project to be considered, you know, there. Now, the challenge is the B and the A. So that's where we need to challenge our kids to do more and show more and uh, be more creative and take it the extra step. Right. Yeah, that that was important to share. Um, The other thing with this and with each of these is, you know, how does ed tech fit in? And you'll see this come up a, a couple times. Chat GPT. If you love it, if you hate it, if you've only used it a little bit, one thing that I've found that it's really good for is this exact thing because it's challenging to come up with more challenging questions. The example I gave of you know James Monroe as a fifth president, if you are struggling to turn a simple recall question into something more challenging, type that into ChatGPT and, and ask it to do it for you. Like I said, this will come up uh, at least one other time in this episode where you can help your own brain out with some of these more challenging extensions. And I think, you know, I've always been surprised with, with how good some of the rewrites are. So you can literally put in a question that you have asked your students and as your ChatGPT prompt, you know, ask it to make it more challenging. Ask, you can get specific with that. Turn it into a short answer question that requires research. I mean, literally sky's the limit. And I think that's gonna at least help you get started. Yeah, and the other thing that you could do is you can make 27 variations of these questions in a little bit of time using ChatGPT. So you have one on Monroe there. Tell them to make questions like this for every president just to sign it or I mean if as long as that fits the scope of your assessment but for math a squared plus b squared equals c squared give me 25 examples of problems that fit this and then 
make them all different. Give me the answer key for these 25 and make them word problems. And ChatGPT will do it. And we've seen it do it over and over again. And they're accurate. So now, especially if you're doing like second chance learning or something like that, now we have 25 variations. You could easily grab one and, and you know, give it to your students and have a unique, you could have a unique test for each kid if you really wanted to. I know that would be just a lot of time on the grading aspect of it, but I mean, use ChatGPT for those things. I understand some of the stuff, uh, one of the biggest complaints I'm getting about ChatGPT right now, not to get too off topic, is the fact that, you know, teachers do not like to use it for personalized things like letters of rec sure. or anything like that. But this is a great example of how we could use ChatGPT to get a unique question that you're not going to find on a Google search. And it's going to be challenging and written in a way that, you know, we're really getting the most out of our kids. Yeah, that's a good segue, actually, to the, uh, the second uh, thing that high expectations should be, which is doing it until you get it right. Um, you know, my story that I've told a lot on our show is my comic strip story where I had my classes make a chemistry-themed comic book. And they were, I'll be uh, brutally honest here, they were garbage. They, they looked like first graders did them. And these are sophomores in high school. I don't even mean drawing ability. I know everyone can't draw, but like even just, the, you could just tell the amount of thinking that went into it was, it was extremely low. Um, you always have the option as a teacher to not accept it and say, these are not good enough. You can do better. And that is a really easy way to keep expectations high. Something else here, and this goes along with what you just said with ChatGPT, you can develop a second chance learning policy that works for you, that you think is fair, that doesn't go too far if you don't like the idea of this. You know, right now at our school, the, the minimum requirement is that students can retake one assessment per quarter. Seems fair to me, and if that's your minimum, that's your minimum, you can go beyond that if you like. One of the biggest complaints with this is, or, or from teachers is, how am I supposed to come up with all of these versions of assessments. Who's gonna make a second test? It took me years to get this test the way I like it. Guess what, friend? Chat GPT, you can copy paste that whole test in there and like you just explained, literally say, can you write a second version of these questions? And it does it. And it could even make an answer key for it and that even includes math and science questions. I had it, you know, I had a series of six like thermodynamics questions using a formula called Q equals MC delta T. And it, I asked it to make an answer key and show all the work and it typed out all the math. So chat GPT is, is not just for like writing stuff. It can do some of these equations for you as well. So that's a huge one. Um, some of the ed tech here, we can just blast through these because a, the, uh, a lot of this stuff you guys have heard of before, not only on this episode, but just around um, you know, typical things that would require feedback. If you're gonna have students do second chance learning, of course, you're gonna have to give them feedback in some way. I know Moat is one of, one of your favorites. Kaizena we don't use, but it's another very popular tool for uh, this idea of like audio recording feedback. So you can just talk and then let your kids uh, check that out. 
Another new one that I found that I hadn't seen before is called Got Feedback by a company called Got Learning. It does a lot of the same stuff. You can check out Got Feedback if you want to give that a look. Um, but all of these are going to be really great ways to get back to students. So Got Feedback does a lot of great things, right? And it's a very easy tool to use, and right now it's free. Uh, but any type of writing assignment that a student would do, or if you wanted to get feedback on your own question or your own writing, you can take whatever it is that you're typing and writing, put it, copy and paste it into a blank, and then there's like five different options that you could choose from. Do you want academic writing? Do you want a prompt? Do you want it to know if the evidence that you put in your writing is, is good enough? Things like that. You could change that. You could change the, the level. Uh, and then it's going to give you feedback based on what you selected. And I, I love to use it for the academic writing piece just so I could see what skills I need to brush up on. But uh, that's just, I put that one in there just in case you wanted to use it for your own uh, question writing because sometimes if you don't have a clear question the whole purpose of that question goes out the window and this is just a way to kind of check yourself there. Another way that I like to do this uh, sort of giving feedback and allowing students to grow before they try that second chance is with some real-time monitoring um, using a digital whiteboard space. You know, the, a popular one, at least our school, is called Jamboard. If you haven't seen it, it's a Google tool. You should check it out. It's pretty great. I found a new one called Miro, uh, spelled M-I-R-O. Totally free, by the way. There is a paid version of this, but um, there's a free version, too. If you head to our show notes and click the Miro link, you'll see it'll take you to the exact free version. Um, if you're just typing it in, it's called the Miro.com online whiteboard. This is pretty much what Jamboard is, except you're not limited to slides, like in Jamboard, almost like a Google slide setup. With Miro, it's just like this giant expanse of space. So you, it's, it's not multiple slides, it's this huge board. You can zoom in, zoom out, um, which I like because it feels a, lot, uh, a little bit more freeing. And you can invite your class to this. Uh, you know, I, I used it recently in, in like a training I was involved with, involved with where at the beginning, there, each person in the training got a sticky note and you drag the sticky note on a little slider to indicate how prepared you felt. And then there was a bunch of information and training and then you did the, sl the, the same activity at the end, drag your sticky note to indicate how prepared you feel and you, it can show that growth. And then in between there, scattered around the, uh, the Miro board was all the different ways that you could get support and examples and all this good stuff. So I think uh, the digital whiteboard spaces, they got a lot of attention during COVID and have kind of taken a back seat. I think there's still a big place for that, um, you know, especially when it comes to supporting students before they approach these uh, second chance learning attempts. Yeah, so you did a lot of quality uh, breakdown of that one so I'm going to kind of leave that one alone but I do want to throw in that Canva also has a whiteboard as well and uh, if you don't know the difference between Jamboard and Canva I'm also going to put in the show notes a YouTube video uh, that I created called why Canva is my new Jamboard and why I like Canva over Jamboard just because of 
all the extra things that you could put into your slides and you're not limited in the number of the slides you do. You could add audio, video, and all that to your to your jam board or your Canva uh, slide as well. Excellent advice. Let's get into number three, which is working hard. Boy, this one's tough. Well, that is such a vague term. What does it mean? Is it different from one student to the next? How do you monitor that? And I'll be honest with everyone, I don't have a good answer to those questions. I, I literally don't know. I know what working hard looks like to me, but that is a very personal thing and it's tough for a teacher to judge. Here's one thing I can say in a classroom perspective, for me at least, uh, what working hard is gonna mean is simply using class time, uh, using it effectively, not you know just sitting there and scrolling your phone or playing a game when you should be engaged in some type of you know working on a project or practicing this problem set to make sure you can do this particular skill if you're trying to monitor how hard students work I think you have to link it to concrete things like that um, you know are you a student who uses this class time effectively and as the teacher here's the ways that I have noticed that and, and let you know what I think you're doing so you can correct it or respond and and help me better understand what's going on here I think a good way to do that is the classic idea of gamification where you're not really punishing students who aren't using class time effectively showing you they're not working hard but instead they know that they get benefits if they are using class time effectively. And I think that that positive approach, the positive behavior support there, I bet you're gonna end up pulling in a lot more students to use class time effectively because they know they're gonna get some good stuff out of it. You know, I've seen teachers who try to do this by just like yelling at their class every day. And that can go downhill really quick and, and, and probably doesn't work. So you want to keep this as positive as possible. We've talked a lot about things like, you know, running a leaderboard where every time you see students actually work right up to the bell, you throw them a couple points. And our, one of our favorite websites called Flippity uh, has a really awesome leaderboard. You could keep this really simple too and just do something in Google Sheets where you post uh, the spreadsheet and the students' scores. This is perfect for things like digital stickers and digital badges. You know, Canva's great there. The noun project I've talked about, our most recent episode had another option. I'm gonna give you a, another new option if you're trying to build in some like badging system. It's called it's called freeimages.com. They have a whole, a whole page of icons here. Uh, the point is, there's a lot of ways to do this. Yeah, I'm just gonna hop in and also say that you can take a current hot show on TV and you can gamify it like Survivor, you could take uh, The Amazing Race, you could take Wheel of Fortune, I've seen people do that. Uh, all these games you can kind of build into your classroom to encourage hard work and to, so for example for Survivor if they, if everyone in the, their group completed a certain task on time and it was done quality you give them three chances to get fire. So maybe you have three cards that have resources or sorry, nothing this time, or you took a chance, but you lost a vote or something like that. And you gamified it that way. That is a great way to build rapport with your students and motivating them to work hard without having to yell at them every day or punish them.
Next up, we have asking for help. That is a, a really important step, of course, and one that I think it goes uh, undone a lot of times, either because students are afraid or not sure, they may not even want to like bother you, but that is a huge part of keeping expectations high. Um, so, you know, the most obvious tip here is just encouraging them to do it. Let students know there's lots of ways you can ask for help. It doesn't have to just be uh, coming up to the teacher to ask in person. It should be asking each other, asking online. I mean, I'm not sure if you really want to go down this road, but if, if you've got the right student who's coming to you for, for help, you could show them how um, you know AI chatbots can be used in a productive way to get help because of course uh, they can do that. One really cool piece of ed tech we wanted to feature here was something called Conmigo. Uh, that's K-H-A-N-M-I-G-O, Conmigo. And this is actually, um, you know, Khan Academy, that's, that's pretty well known now. I'm assuming you've all heard of Khan Academy, if not, um, you know, started off as a series of, I believe, chemistry. I could be wrong with that, though. YouTube videos and just has grown into this gigantic house of, of learning and websites and different platforms. And, and now uh, Khan Academy is employing AI to serve as a, a digital tutor, basically. So the types of feedback you get when uh, interacting with something like ChatGPT directing that specifically for learning. So now a student, instead of asking a question in Google, can go to Conmigo and ask questions. And instead of just being given the answer, the AI will kind of walk students through the steps of how to answer that question. So literally using it as a learning tool. Um, I think this is fantastic. And if you want to give students ways to ask for help and make that as part of the high expectations of your class. To me, this is a no-brainer right now. In the summer of 2023, as we're recording this, um, Conmigo is still in the beta version. So if you head to conacademy.org slash con hyphen labs, or just go to our show notes for this episode and click the link, you can sign up for the waitlist to start testing the beta version of Conmigo. But I see this as uh, very likely the future of AI in education in a productive way. I think this is just going to explode in coming years. And, um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. So that's, that's asking for help. So I'm going to talk about a blast from the past. This <laughs> might be dating me, but whatever. I remember when the Internet first came out, the biggest unknown secret you know, teachers didn't know about this, students knew about it, was asking Jeeves. Right. And this is kind of reminding me of Jeeves, you know, asking Jeeves. We weren't supposed to do it because that was considered cheating, but everyone did it anyway. Right. And to me, I, I never saw it as cheating because I wasn't copying down any of the answers. I was trying to get understanding of a topic. So, Conmingo is awesome. It's like having a 24-hour available teacher there for students. So I see this as also being something that we're going to see in many different variations over the next year or so. So asking for help. You know, just expect ways. Try to provide ways. Anticipate ways in which you can help students. Have an FAQ for that project where 
if they have a general question, they can go there. Especially if you're doing some of these projects year after year, collect those FAQs, put them on a website, attach them to the project page, whatever you might do, put a QR code in your room. Here, this is how you do it. If it's content based, sure, put that up there. If it's ed tech based, put it up an FAQ to help out. Yep, that's uh, that's great advice, and I, I think the you know the AI digital tutors are going to be. I think every ed tech tool that survives this time is going to have one of those, which I believe brings us to our fifth and final tip that I added to the original list. It's called student growth. You know, requiring that students advance and grow from where they start to me is like a no-brainer when it comes to high expectations, and I wanted to make sure to add that in there. This is. You know, this could be an entire podcast all by itself because there's so much to get into here. We've done some podcasts actually devoted to stuff like this. You know, I'll talk in a little bit about digital portfolios as a way to show that growth or require that students do that. And we have an entire digital or digital portfolio episode, at least one, probably multiple. But um, it's a great way to do it. The, the idea here, of course, is that you don't just want to start teaching and then post assess students um, because it's very possible that you're not you're not really seeing how they've grown and if they're not growing then are your expectations super high for that class I would say not so on the simplest end this requires some type of a pre-assessment and a post assessment um, you know and if you want to really attack this you can actually rebuild your entire classroom grading scheme around this you 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 can go full standards based grading and just you know pre-assess and post-assess kids on everything in between those two points you will be doing all of the things we've talked about so far like giving them options for asking for help making sure they're using class time effectively to work hard trying over and over again until they get it right and you know the whole time this is just by nature doing a challenging thing. You don't have to go to those extremes, of course. It could be as simple as pick a unit next year where you know students already come in with some knowledge, give them a pre-assessment. That's the same as the post-assessment you typically give. See how they do, you may be surprised. You might save yourself a bunch of time because maybe the students do really well on that pre-assessment and you just learn that you don't have to spend a week teaching those things or two weeks because the kids already came knowing them. You could just do like a little two-day refresher course and you've just now freed up a week and a half of time to do challenging things. So this is, a, I think, a great one to end with because it sort of wraps up all of them. The, as far as ed tech goes, this one was tough for me to actually find something new worth sharing um, because if you're talking about pre-assessments and post-assessments, there's just so many things out there and the smartest choice is to just just use the LMS that you already use. You know, for us, it's a, a site called OnCourse where all the grades are going in there anyway. So of course, why would I go find some other website to overcomplicate my life? I wouldn't. Um, if you don't have an LMS or if you don't like it, there's lots of other tools. If you're doing portfolios uh, digitally, things like Evernote or Seesaw is probably the most popular one could be as simple as a website too where students keep all their stuff like a Google site or you know Canva has their new websites feature which uh, you know guys has become a 
an expert on recently. All of these are great ways to do it. Another tool uh, that I think we've talked about before called Book Widgets. Um, Book Widgets has kind of flown under the radar, but it's, it's kind of staying strong over the past couple months here. They have tons of really great you know, quizzes and worksheets and stuff, all sorts of different question types, all built around this idea of uh, you know assessment. I think Book Widgets has like 35 different types of questions that you can build in. So that might go beyond the, what you can do with the LMS you use. You may want to give it a look. A lot of really exciting stuff out there for showing student growth. Yeah, I love Book Widgets. I, I just started using them again recently for something that has nothing to do with school. It kind of does. I'm working with my, my own kids on things and I'm, I want to gamify things. So it really fits any age learner when you're, when you're talking questions. All right, one that I wanted to add to this, and I agree with everything with showing growth. All right, statistics, data, that's very important, not only to the teacher, but also to the students. It could provide motivation factors. For example, before I used to, in science, I used to tell students, these are some of the misconceptions. But I wouldn't say to what extent or what impact. All right. If I put up on the board that 24 people missed this out of my 54 kids uh, for that quarter, 24 missed this, this question. This is the misconception. And I give them that, that hard number there. They're going to be like, oh, maybe I was one of those. I'm going to pay attention here. I'm going to listen and really try to you know, see if I understood it. Whereas if you just say a blanket statement, a broad blanket statement that several people missed this, that concrete number does help. All right, I have seen an impact there. One EdTech tool that I wanted to bring up, they kind of rebranded themselves. You know this tool, it's one of my all-time favorite EdTech tools. This is probably the first EdTech tool that I really invested in way back in 2000, I wanna say nine. Like I think I started using it in its simplest form in 2009. Uh, and that was Screencast-O-Matic, but they rebranded the ScreenPal. So they have video capabilities, adding video into uh, any place where you could add a, basically a URL. So it could be in a Google form, whatever. But they also have screencasting ability when it comes to uh, making a professional looking video, editing it, uh, adding in um, overlays and, and things like that, adding arrows, magnifying glass so you could zoom in, adding captions, pretty much a one-stop shop for anything video production. But the one thing that I really enjoy now, you have the ability to add questions into your videos. Think Edpuzzle, but this is um, ScreenPal. So I really like this because I'm a big fan of personalized learning and there's no way better to personalize your learning than to make a screencast. And by allowing me to add questions in there and then seeing the statistics of anyone that took that quiz, that's just so important in education. It's so beneficial. It allows us to identify misconceptions and it allows us to act upon them. So there are a lot of cool features that ScreenPal has when adding questions, like you can prevent students from fast forwarding. 
So that's a big one for anyone that just likes to say that they're done. But it makes them go through the questions. It gives you that real data. Big fan of Screencast-O-Matic, which means I'm a big fan of ScreenPal since that is the new brand. I like the rebranding. Good at tech tool. Yeah, Screencast-O-Matic as a name, it does sound kind of outdated. So a smart choice there. And it's, it's also one of my all-time favorite tools. I'm still paying for it out of pocket. It's actually the only one I, right now I pay for out of pocket because I love it that much. I believe that wraps it up for this episode. I want to say thank you to my colleagues who were recently talking about uh, this exact topic and how to bring back high expectations to their classrooms. I want to thank at Teacher Goals, the Instagram account at Teacher Goals for the post that inspired this episode. And as always, guys, do us some favors like subscribing on Apple, please, Spotify, Google, find us on YouTube. Uh, if you look up Got Tech the Podcast, you'll see our channel there. Uh, Twitter accounts as well, Facebook. If you really want to help out, write us a review. You can check out our website, gottech.com, or you can check out the Teach Better podcast network that we are a part of, along with lots of other really awesome podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.